Hello, and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two sisters living in different parts of the country talk to family and friends um, about movies that we love. So I'm Anne, living in Chicago, and I will pass it over to Eleanor, who is my sister living in LA, to introduce our guest and movie. So our guest today is Megan Flynn, the fiance of a previous podcast guest, Rory Vaughn, and we're really excited to have Megan um, tell us a little bit about her, herself and about the movie, The Great Mouse Detective. So Megan, what should we know about you? Um, so I am currently a grad student and I live in Chicago for an internship, but I actually uh, go to school at, uh, in South Bend, Indiana, and I... Love the Great Mouse Detective. It was my first uh, childhood cartoon love, and I think it stems from like I'm kind of a kind of a crazy person, and then I love like uh, weird murder mystery kind of things. Not that this is a murder mystery, but like it's like the child kid kid version of a mystery story. So, oh, for sure, that it that is a hundred percent true. Um, Wait, question. When you say, like, this was your first animated love, was Basil the detective your first, like, animated love? Or was it just, like, a movie that you loved? I think it was a movie that I loved. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't recall having any sort of crush on Basil the mouse detective, but um, I did love the movie quite a bit. The little dog toe. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I know I had an animated crush very early on in my childhood. Yeah. Dimitri from Anastasia will always take it. <laughs> I think always. I had the thing for Aladdin, but I think everybody did. You know, it was, well, it, was the, it was also the voice of Steve from Full House, so it makes sense. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Eleanor and I are huge Full House fans. Like, it almost means more to us than anything. <laughs> Y'all watch Fuller House? I watch yes, Fuller we House. watch Fuller House. I love Fuller House. I would say seasons one and two were weak. Season three was really strong. Like, it really got to the heart of the matter. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I I binge-watched season three in, like, a day, just sitting on my fiancé's couch. Um, But, yeah, I absolutely adore Fuller House and Full House, for that matter. Oh, agreed. And, like, finally, DJ and Steve are together. That's, like, all I really needed, you know? Needed to happen. Um, Okay, so... Megan, to start off with, we do something called speed friending, which is just like some random questions we're going to ask you. So what was the best part of your day so far? And I recognize it's like 10, 15 in the morning. Um, Best part of my day so far was the breakfast that was made for me right in front of the computer when I came out. (laughs) The bacon was cooked absolutely crispy and it was just wonderful I have a cup of coffee as well so my butler Rory took care of that for me (laughs) good for you that sounds epic okay what is your favorite day of the week favorite day of the week Ooh, I think it's at the current moment in time I have to be cliche and say like Saturday just because I'm finally done with work even Fridays go really long at work for me right now. So I just, Saturday is like the day I can finally be done with work and relax and sleep in and enjoy myself. So yeah, Saturday. That's the dream. Okay. What is your dream travel destination? Dream travel destination. I think Ireland. Um, I've been there twice now. 
I'm, I'm excited to go back. I want to go back. I love Ireland. I think it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a ton of fun. There's a lot of beer, a lot of drinking. These are things I support. So. <laughs> good. Yeah, there's, there is a lot of good beer over there. I mean, mainly Guinness, but it's but like, it's good one. stuff. <laughs> okay. And then our last one is kind of a, anyway, it's a weird one. So Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks? Oh, um, honestly, at this point, it's got to be Tom Hanks, right? Agreed. I mean, <laughs> Tom always. Cruise maybe back in Top Gun, Top Gun days, which we just watched recently, and he is a smoke show, but um, now it's Tom Hanks for sure. I would agree. He's like Hollywood's good guy. Yeah. Yeah, everybody likes him, although I feel like he had, he was one of those that kind of had a drug thing at some point, but I could be making that up. <gasps> I might be thinking about Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. definitely had a drug thing. For sure. I want to say Tom Hanks did too, but I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Or maybe it was I, Tim Allen. Maybe I'm thinking Toy Story, Tim Allen did. It was Tim did, Allen. Tim Allen had a drug oh. thing. I yeah, no I think he idea. got busted for something. I had no idea. This is so fascinating. I love it. Okay, we're definitely going to have to do some research because like both of those are like stunning revelations to me. But I think my conclusion is Tom Hanks did not have a drug problem. Oh so my God. do not quote me on the Tim Allen one though. <laughs> I'm really, really hoping that he didn't. We recently talked about Toy Story and I kind of had forgotten that Tim Allen was in it. Like, I don't know why. I just like forgotten that that was part of his like movie repertoire. Um, but it like makes sense. Now I'm like happy. I was like, oh yeah. But okay. I was also, this is kind of off topic, but it's celebrities being in animated movies is so fascinating to me. And nowadays it's like the big thing to do because it doesn't take much work on their end. But like, I was just watching Transylvania two yesterday. Naturally, with like these two naturally. little girls I was babysitting. Or by your, yeah, as, or, as one does on a or by Friday yourself. afternoon. Yeah. It's cool. Annie. you don't have to lie. Okay, to us. I was babysitting, <laughs> but, um, like, every celebrity is in that movie. Like, every celebrity. It's crazy. Who's in it? I was just... Well, Selena so Gomez. Like, That's Steve the Carell, main one. Right? Steve also, Carell, he's the vampire. No, 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 isn't that... No, Steve Carell's not the vampire. I think it's Adam Sandler. Oh. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm, like, almost positive it's Adam Sandler. I actually think that you're right about that, now that I think about it. Um, but, like... So in these movies, Hotel Transylvania, like the daughter of Dracula, like loves a human and the human parents are like, um, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. Mullally. That's cute. Cause they're a real couple. (laughs) Yeah. I love them too. They're a real couple. And then in this animated movie, they play his parents. So like everyone's in it. Um, and then, like, David Spade is in it, and Kevin James, Andy Samberg, Molly Shannon, Steve Buscemi, Fran Drescher, CeeLo Green. I mean, like, everyone is in this movie. Well, yeah, a lot of those are, I guess it makes sense in it's Adam Sandler, because, like, all those guys, a bunch of those guys are, like, his buds, right? They do everything That's together. True. Like, David Spade, they're right. all, like, SNL, SNL buddies. Like, right. And, like, I feel like Steve Buscemi is, like, his go-to, like, weird dude, you know? 
Because <laughs> Steve Buscemi is like weird looking and yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's start talking. <laughs> now that we've discussed Hotel Transylvania 2, let's uh, talk about the movie we came here to talk about. So, um, Megan, can you give us a brief synopsis? And when we say brief, you get to decide what that means. Like, we've had three-line haiku before. We've had, like, 20 minutes of intense plot detail. Um, but a brief synopsis of The Great Mouse Detective. Okay, yes. So it starts with a toy maker and his little daughter. They're, they're mice, and they live in Victorian London. Um, but it's kind of like an underground situation. So, like, there's a human world still, but the mice have, like, their own own world going on underneath the ground or not above the ground. I don't know. Um, anyway, so it's a toy maker and his little daughter. And um, one night the toy maker is taken in front of his daughter by some creepy looking bat. And um, so the little daughter is, is sad and distressed and she finds her way to Basil of Baker Street, who is a detective who um, appears to live to live underneath Sherlock Holmes um, on Baker Street because you see like somebody in the in the uh, in the apartment above playing violin and all this stuff so it's definitely Sherlock Holmes anyway uh, so she goes to Sherlock or to Basil of Baker Street and Basil of Baker Street is this great detective and very snarky and there's this fat little mouse that's like the Watson version whose name I'm totally forgetting um, we'll go with Watson for right now <laughs> and um, they set out on a hunt to find her father, and it turns out her father was taken by this evil rat named Radigan, but he doesn't want to be called a rat. He's, like, really sensitive about that, so he, he considers himself a mouse, even though he's a rat. Anyway, and he's this evil guy, and his whole, uh, his whole uh, thought process is he took this toy maker to build this mechanical queen of England mouse, because obviously the mouse world has a queen as well. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so he wants to uh, kill the queen and put this mechanical uh, queen mouse in place that's going to declare him the new dictator of the world and so that he will have all this power. And so that's the major plot. And of course, Basil of Baker Street, after um, you know some heroism and stuff, saves the father, saves the girl, everybody's happy, and Radigan falls to his death off of Big Ben. Mm. Mm. so british yeah so british okay <laughs> so um you mentioned ireland as a place of continual interest have you been to england or like did you ever want to visit england specifically because of this movie when you were growing up so it was actually my first uh well aside from canada it was my first uh 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 foreign country i visited uh we went to london when i was 14 and I can't say, I mean, at the time I was very Harry Potter centric. So mm. that was, it was mostly driven by Harry Potter. But I, I mean, honestly, there's probably some subconscious thing that it all started back from, from Basil of Baker Street, great mouse detective days <laughs> that I've just always wanted to go to England. I love the accent, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, did the appeal of this movie extend also into other Victorian novels or the Victorian period or alternatively did you become more interested in Sherlock Holmes or mysteries, like, or was this kind of a one-off? Hundred percent. The so not so much. I wasn't that cultured as a kid to really appreciate the Victorian aspect of it. So unfortunately, no. 
but the mystery and the Sherlock Holmes part, yes. I, I mean, I'm obsessed with the um, Sherlock Holmes that's out today with uh, um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I've watched it like twice now all the way through. Love it. I love all mystery. You know, listen to all kinds of, like I miss, listen to that My Favorite Murder podcast every day. Um, I watch scary, scary things like Dateline and stuff. So I think, I think that this definitely kind of sparked that. That is so fascinating to me. I find it so fast because you are like such a lovely and like positive human being. And the fact that you listen to like my favorite murder is that, okay, I don't, okay. Secret podcast listeners. I have a podcast, but I rarely listen to podcasts. Um, but even rarer do I listen to um, like a true crime. Like true crime like has holds no appeal to me, but I think it is like, and a lot of my coworkers are obsessed with it. So I feel like I have some idea of that genre. But to me, like seeing like right now on um, Netflix, there's something called like The Staircase or something. Like there's a series about, yeah, you're going to have to watch it. But it's about like this family and like their downfall and whatever and true crime. And I hear about these things and I'm like, yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Really? So that's like so interesting to me because I'm so into it. I'm so intrigued by all that. That when somebody, like even Rory, who's sitting right behind this computer, um, <laughs> even Rory, when I'm like describing things to him, like last night, for instance, I went off on a tangent about the BTK killer and he was like, you need to stop. Like, I just don't want to hear this. And I was like, cause I was describing what he would do to people and like how he would kill them. And I, <laughs> Rory was not into it. And uh, Wait, as what's it the BTK out, killer? Blind torture kill. So, or maybe it's bind. I never can tell when people say it. Um, but basically he was like uh, your average like Joe Schmo, like I think in Kansas, like he was like a Cub Scout leader. He was like part of the church. He was a dad and a husband and he was like this like great outstanding citizen, but apparently he got his jollies from sneaking into people's houses and uh, tying them up and torturing them and then killing them. He was caught, but yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> it took a turn. It took a turn, y'all. I, <laughs> but I, I also do want to make sure, have you heard and listened to the podcast A Very Fatal Murder from The Onion? Because it sounds like you need to. It's super funny. I actually did listen to that. Wait, so it's The Onion, though. So what is it like a real, like, is it a joke? I never can tell with The Onion. Is everything they do a joke? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it's definitely... Um, a satire. It, it okay. is perfect. <laughs> I'll it's have to perfect. look it up. I haven't heard of it, but I'll definitely look it up. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, I thought it was funny, and I didn't even like true crime. Okay. Is it like? Does it? Is it based in? Does it have some sort no. of truth with? Okay, it's all like just fake true crime, so false crime, if you will. Um. False crime. Oh, I like that. <laughs> We're going to start a new subcategory of podcast called false crime. Um, but okay. So in your description of the great mouse detective, getting back to our movie, um, I'm most fascinated. And okay. So we did watch this movie growing up. I wouldn't say it was one of our favorites. Eleanor, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that we watched it. I, No, I actually don't think we owned it. I think what it was, it was a movie that we would see, weirdly, when we had to go to uh, 
one of mom's like circles houses i feel like their kids really liked it and so it was more like something that other kids liked and we dabbled in but did not fully embrace on our own (laughs) okay fair um but what I found really interesting about your synopsis was Radigan, our villain, who, like, refuses to identify as a rat. Like, that, as an adult to me, is like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have identity issues? And, like, can you explain to our listeners, like, how that plays out again or, like, how he shows his, like, insecurity there? So, basically, I mean, he's this, like, I mean, compared to mice, like he's this big giant guy and there's a scene right after he's taken the toy maker and um, it's like he has these little followers who are all mice and he's like their, their leader or whatever. And they have this huge song of, like Radigan or Radigan and I'm not going to sing it because I suck at singing, <laughs> but it's like weirdly a song that I remembered all through my life. Anyway, um, and at the very end, one of the little drunk, because they're like drinking the whole time, which obviously did not occur to me when I was little. But when I rewatched it just recently, I was like, holy smokes, these kids are just like, they're drinking. Like, it's the whole <laughs> song about them, like pouring wine into a fountain and like guzzling it down. Like, wow, OK. Um, but anyway, so one of the little mice is like super drunk at the end. He's like in the in the fountain, the wine fountain, like with bubbles on his head, you know, because that's how cartoons indicate somebody's drunk. And um, he says something like, you're the greatest rat there is. And everybody stops and is like, oh, no. And Radigan's like, what did you say? And the little drunk mouse says it again. And he goes and feeds the guy to a cat. Because it's like, I'm not a rat. I'm a mouse. I wonder wow. why. Like, was he small compared to rats? And, like, so I, big compared to mice? Like, there's I'm a lot there. I'm going to be honest. If, if it was explained to me at any point in time during the movie, it went over my head as to why he has <laughs> this identity crisis. But... So interesting. You know, it's kind of like, because like the way I've, you know, this might be not historically accurate, but from what I've gathered about like Hitler, um, you know, he was like a brunette with brown eyes and whatever, but his like ideal race was, was Aryan, was like blonde hair, blue eyes, like the whole shebang. And he was like, not that at all. And which always confused me. but maybe he, you know, he stemmed from Radigan. Maybe he watched yeah. the movie and he, although this came out in 86 and that was in the 40s, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's fascinating. I mean, I just love that this animated character kind of early. Well, I mean, this is like right before the Disney Renaissance. Um, well, and this actually, movie. Was... Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Eleanor. No, no, all you. So I was reading online that this movie actually helped like Disney kind of regain its confidence and it's like animated part of its production because they had just lost a ton of money or it was like really, there was this movie called the black cauldron, which I don't think I've seen. Um, I'm not sure I've seen that movie, but apparently that was like not a commercial success. And then this movie came out a year later and was it had a budget of only like $14 million. So it was like a relatively low budget animated movie. And it was, it was like a commercial success. Um, so like it kind of jump started the Disney Renaissance, which I thought was fascinating. Cause again, like this movie wasn't really in our lexicon. Okay. Okay. But okay. So Eleanor question for you. 
Do you Please. know? Because you've like been to Disney. Does been like, there in the yes. history of Disney animation? Do they see this movie as important? Okay, so I think what Disney consistently argues is that every movie is important because if if anything, it is a learning curve. And so for this one, uh, Musker and Clements were the people behind it, and they went on. They did Aladdin. They did Moana most recently. So for so. I, I think we see this idea also um, embodied in the Pixar style too. So Pixar, it's usually you work within a short film and then building up capacity. Um, with this one, we definitely see this capacity building. I think, um, and this was something I always have found really fascinating in Disney research, um, is Disney has a really incredible archive of its own materials and they strongly encourage any animators to draw from previous studies so in that sense it was like when making Tarzan drawing from the original designs for apes in uh, the Jungle Book so like making those consistent patterns and I think for this one we do see stylistic similarities obviously different artists but the similarities the intentional similarity for this and the rescuers Yes, which I think we have to talk about. I mean, I don't think that we can kind of separate those. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, because again, it's been like a while since I've seen The Rescuers, but is that the movie where there's like that really freaky redheaded woman who like steals a child and, and puts like an her alligator? in a, yeah, and puts her in a cave, which I also feel like would be interesting to watch now. Yes. Wait, Megan, have you seen this movie? I, I. I, it's the one where they fall from like the, the building, right? There's like a scene where they're falling from a building. Yes. That's like all I remember about the rescuers. I think I've definitely seen it when I was little, but there's a good chance that I didn't see it a lot. Cause my mom watched it and was like, this is weird that a woman is stealing a girl and putting her in a cave. So maybe I was shielded <laughs> from that. I don't know. <laughs> Cause oh, this is crazy weird. to me. It's a weird movie. It's a really weird movie, but I also, like, again, I think that we can, like, so The Rescuers and The Great Mouse Detective, similar styles, similar, you know, like, whatever, even just, like, the fact that there are mice. Um, but I also think that we can draw parallels to, like, a movie that came later, Ratatouille. And I, like, I love Ratatouille. Um, and, again, that's, like, rats and not mice. But we do have the similar idea of, like, a rat world underneath the human world. Yeah, it's almost exactly the same, except, well, Grey Mouse Detective, they don't interact with the humans at all. It's kind of like true. two separate, but at the same time, yeah, very similar. I mean, the whole time we were, I made Rory watch the first half with me, and he was just like, this is like, that character looks like it's from, from Jungle Book, that character looks like it's from, like, XYZ. He was like, this is like all the, all the Disney movies and all, the, all their characters combined. Like, it was, and yeah. I would have agreed with him had I not known that it was much older than all the other Disney movies, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, like, interesting, Eleanor, to, like, about the history of Disney, that they, like, go back to old designs. Is that, like, the idea of, like, building off of, like, well, because I just started, so, Megan, Eleanor just started me on this book called Creativity, Inc., which is all about, like, Pixar. Yeah, um, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's, I've read a couple pages. <laughs> so far, so good. Um, but this idea of, of talking through 
the technology or like kind of like innovating along the way. And like, was there anything truly innovative in this, in the animation of this movie? Like, cause it's kind of classically an eighties animated movie. So Eleanor, do you know, is there any like technology? Actually, I don't as well. Um, I don't think they attempted any computer animation with this one, though it was among the last. Uh, I forget, are there, is there a scene that deals with water um, in a strong way? Because if we think about Disney animation, water in particular is very challenging to animate, and the movie that immediately followed this was The Little Mermaid. So if anything, I would would think that they would kind of uh, experiment with like water movement in this movie. Um, because so much of The Little Mermaid was water-based. In the same way that, like, Frozen came before Moana intentionally to practice. Snow was easier to animate than water, but the same motion was needed in order to capture water. So I think that would have been where anything uh, technological would have been located. Well, they do have the Thames in this movie. They do. I don't recall any scene where like anybody would have been in the water per se, or or that they were they would even have been on a boat. There's a lot of rain involved though. There's like at least two different scenes where it's like pouring outside and they're having to you know get soaking wet and go through their antics. So. Oh, that's true. I hadn't thought of that, but you're a hundred percent right. So I guess there is some like water animation going on. I don't know. And then, okay, so I think, too, we have to talk about the lasting legacy of, like, Sherlock Jones, because like, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Haley, I hope you can edit that out. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> the lasting legacy of Sherlock Holmes. Um, because I think that it, it's fascinating to me that, so this was this movie was made in the late 80s, right? So, like, 1986, or mid-80s, I guess. Um, and we see even today, you know, like 20, 30 years later, um, kind of a reiteration of Sherlock Holmes for kids again with like the Sherlock Gnomes movies or like there was just a Sherlock Gnome. Really? Oh yeah. I can't tell you it's great, Megan. I can't tell you that. <laughs> My dad is laughing here cause he too had to watch it. <laughs> Never heard of it. But... Bob wants everyone to know that he fell asleep during that movie. So he's giving his <laughs> disapproval to Sherlock Gnomes. Oh, it was a great sleep. <laughs> he slept well. He said it was a great sleep. Um, but I do think it's interesting that we continually, as media consumers, like go back to Arthur Conan Doyle, Doyle's character. So like... Why? Why do you guys think that this is like a trope that we we go back to? I'd say that they're definitely number one is, you know, a, a large subset of humans that do enjoy the the mystery, the whodunit, detective. I mean, there's a reason there's like a million different crime shows on TV, NCIS and, and Law and Order and uh, Criminal Minds, et cetera, et cetera. Because um, it's like a big market for people that enjoy that. So Sherlock Holmes is it. And then on top of that, like, he's, like, such an enjoyable character because he's so, he's, like, House, but he was, like, he was before House. But, like, you know, he's snarky and he's, like, kind of a jerk, but, like, in, like, a, a way that you're, like, kind of love him and he's hilarious. 
depending on how he's portrayed, he should be hilarious. And so, and then he's also brilliant. And so people are, are enjoy that factor of it. Um, I just think it's like a, a timeless character that there's no generation that's not going to enjoy. If it's put in the right setting, like people won't not enjoy a Sherlock Holmes right. story. I agree. I definitely think that there's something about a mystery that kind of intrigues us. Like, I think that that is, I don't know, just a classic kind of plot line where you're going to make sure that your reader or your audience stays invested, hopefully, because like they want to know, they, they want to know who, who killed, you know, whomever. Um, but like, it's interesting to me that like, if we're thinking about kind of the classic, um, like murder mystery, whatever people like, I think that we think of like Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. And then we think of like, Agatha Christie and like Poirot and um, Miss Marple. Is that her name, Eleanor? Miss Marple. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm wondering why we have chosen like Sherlock Holmes to kind of carry through because we don't have like a children version of Poirot or Miss Marple, but we have a children version of Sherlock Holmes. Thoughts. Maybe it's not thoughtful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest. I don't know enough about the other two characters, but my only thing is it gets back to like the entertaining aspect of Sherlock Holmes. Him as the, the character itself is, you know, he's this like brilliant, weird, like hilarious character that, you know, you can make into all these different, that fits into any um century you know victorian england and also you can put him in you know 2018 and mm -hmm. he's still funny yeah well, and i think additionally like he his powers of observation kind of translate across uh generation and across uh geographic location and then beyond that what's interesting particularly about sherlock holmes is uh people different like affinity groups um appreciation for him like I remember in college taking a class like the detective in film and fiction and spent a lot of time on Sherlock Holmes this was stuff I would have never known but there's like a feminist reading of Sherlock Holmes and this whole idea that Irene Adler I think is her name is actually the one like solving all the crimes and she's the only one that's best in him so like she's in fact the most intelligent and then there's all these like queer theories about his relationship with Watson. I think there's just, it can just be unpacked a lot in the same way that Shakespeare can be unpacked a lot. Um, and, and I mean, like, I was also thinking too, doesn't Sherlock Holmes on some level, like they thought that he had like some form of mental illness? Yeah, like so he was potentially on the spectrum somehow. Right. Uh, because he didn't have like social, like it was like that typical, like didn't have the social skills really. Uh, like, right. Um, yeah. I mean, he was reclusive. He um, was outright rude to people. I like, didn't seem to understand how to have empathy or anything, um, which is typical signs of being on the spectrum. So there was like hints of that, but that nobody ever outright came out and said that. I don't, I don't think, but um, which I wonder then if it was even ever, uh, kind of part of the original storyline for him to be on the spectrum or if it just turned out right. the way they wrote the character was that. Right. Well, when I think probably when Car our, like, like Arthur Conan Doyle was writing this, I don't know that they even had, like they probably didn't diagnose people with autism, right? So it's like, 
maybe he was writing from experience of like knowing someone who had these kind of quirks. Yeah. But like there was no, no title for that. Anyway. Okay. So (laughs) as we start to wrap up our discussion, let's chat about the enduring legacy of this movie. Like, is this a movie that kids should see today? Like should Disney opt to put it back on Netflix? Like, do we see potentially a remake coming out? Like, what do we think it's, it's places today in the animated world? Um, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know in terms of the actual animation part and if it's like up to snuff for kids who are born these days and if, you know, they see mm-hmm. like a, a Moana versus they see a 1986 Disney cartoon, are they really going to be satisfied with that? Um, but in terms of the storyline, I think it would absolutely, I mean, I, again, I get back to like kids could also be interested in mysteries, but I mean, this is done in a kid way. It's not like scary per se or anything like it's, you know, it has silly kid stuff to it. So it's not as intense. And I think kids, I believe personally that young Megan, had she been born in like 2016 would uh, be interested in seeing a movie like this. (laughs) Okay. Eleanor, thoughts? I think for me, I personally like enjoy Sherlock Holmes at any level and adding this film to a conversation about it is perfect. Like, I mean, because just looking at the variety of Sherlock Holmes uh, between Benedict Cumberbatch, between like, do you remember the 80s movie Without a Clue with like Michael Caine? Yes, so funny. Um, what's his name? It's just like, I, I like characters and I like storylines that get reinvented continuously. And I enjoy considering them as a unit. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I actually, um, like thinking about it from a, a teaching perspective, I actually think that now that we're talking about this, this would be like a really interesting so, like, teachers in high school um, and even in, in elementary schools and middle schools, they consistently ask students to update and revise, like, to make a modern version of some, like, Shakespearean play or, or, or setup or, like, Romeo and Juliet or O oh, or whatever. Um, and I think it would actually be interesting, an interesting kind of project to show kids this movie and then ask them to write a murder mystery, which is something that as a teacher you don't usually – like you don't really talk about murder mysteries all that much in the classroom, but they do have a very clear plot line. So like in terms of teaching plot, it could be a really great way to be like, okay, you've looked at a plot, you know what it is, like now go do, um, and ask them to kind of update some of the more, I don't know, child-friendly Sherlock Holmes. And, and <laughs> then this one's not even like a murder mystery per se, because it is, a, you know, the kid part to it. So it's just, right. you know, somebody got kidnapped and it's trying to find track him down and find out who did it. I mean, the bad guy gets killed, but I think that's pretty standard in Disney movies that it's like, okay, if we kill off the bad guy at the end. Yeah. They stopped that with Moana. Oh, yes, they did. Justice for the bad guy. (laughs) Okay. So um, as we wrap up here, we always close our podcast with talking about our favorite pop culture moment of the week. So is anyone ready? I can also go first. You go first and I'll have to think about it. Okay. So one of my favorite pop culture things this week was the Trump baby blimp. 
in London that they had as part of the protests. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. And then I also like that they took the blimp itself and like put it on posters, um, like protest posters. I enjoyed it. And I thought it was funny that uh, (laughs) people tried to get it to like get shut down. They were like, this can't be allowed in London. And the London mayor's response was like, who am I to tell people what's in bad taste? Like he's like, nope. (laughs) So it's been flying all week. And I think it's pretty funny. It's a big, fat Trump baby. Literally big. That's hilarious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite moment, I guess, then, uh, what? I mean, favorite's a strong word, but just a moment that happened to me um, was the World Cup. So we had like a pool at the office and, um, you know, like we all made their brackets and we all put 20 bucks in or, well, I, I will eventually put 20 bucks in. I haven't gotten around to that. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had England winning. And honestly, uh, when I filled out the bracket, I was like, eh, this is kind of silly. Like, whatever, I'm just going to put it because like go England, they deserve it. But like the odds of that, it actually happens are nil. And then they made it to the semifinals and like Belgium was out, Brazil was out, all these people that most people put at their number one. And so like, I went from having zero real invested interest in this bracket situation to like, I could win this and I could win like everybody else's money. Like this is going to be great. And then they lost and my dreams were crushed for like an hour until I realized that this really hadn't affected my life at all two days before. So. <laughs> no, perspective is important. But similarly, Megan, I too felt the pain in part because I had made a slap bet about the result Ooh. of the England-Croatia oh, no. match. And now a friend from college, Mo Mathias, at some stage in my life has like free reign to slap me. Um, there's like more intense rules based on the slap bet commissioner's ruling. Um, but yeah, so no, I feel your pain, literally, or I will feel your pain, literally. So this is snap bet, snap, uh, slap bet, like what's in How I Met Your Mother? That's exactly what it's like. That is terrifying. So this could be, is it like straight across the face? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, it's actually really, I kind of want to put more slap bets out into the universe. Because they actually think it's... (laughs) I mean, like, when you have to put something on the line, I actually think this is a pretty fun one. Um, But that is not my pop culture moment of the week. What I will say (laughs) is, so last night I attended, and I was there for hours. I was, like, at a club for four hours last night, which is incredible to me because I'm very tired. But, so there's this group in L.A. that called Club 90s and they'll host these themed nights at different clubs in LA and last night was a high school musical themed night so it's there's nothing better than like being at a club and it was like packed also I was definitely among the oldest but I knew most of the songs for sure they would they played like some Allie and AJ and like Vanessa Hudgens like singles and like um Ashley Tisdale singles and I didn't know any of that but there's nothing better than like performing bet on it like in a club like with beer and other people <laughs> and similarly like do you remember the hoedown throwdown from Hannah Montana the movie because that was definitely performed like at a club and that was I remember the scene and I remember that it has a lot of steps to it do you actually know the steps it has a lot of steps I remembered some of them it makes me want to repractice um and 
I, so I obviously like have spent a lot of time now thinking about High School Musical, etc. And um, with that, uh, it was interesting because they would also show clips of different parts of the movies and the music videos. It's reaffirming to me that High School Musical 2 is in fact the greatest of the trilogy. Is um, it really? I think so. I think the type of numbers it offers, the variety, the dancing, um, it's, yeah, it's really great. So High School Musical 2, I might be rewatching it later today. Is that the one that they're on the golf course? Mm -hmm. the yes. Or something? Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Eleanor and I also have to admit that we grew up country club children. So, like, we have a particular love of that movie. Something we have to admit and put out there. Okay, so, Eleanor, tell us where people can find us. You can find us on the interwebs, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can rate and review us, which we would be so appreciative of, on iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere fine podcasts are found. Um, we would like to thank our guest, Megan, for joining us today. I'm so glad that we could schedule this. And again, thank you to Haley Beaupre, our composer of our theme music and our producer. Yeah. This is a great time to ask, Eleanor, what's the difference between like a producer and an executive producer? Like, is she our executive producer? Um, right now, like, we don't have any funding, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, so any advertisers that's for you <laughs> and on that note where's your bye Annie what where's your bye my bye yeah am I buying in B-Y-E <laughs> oh I was like how would you talk to me <laughs> oh bye <laughs> Okay, that was awesome. Um, <laughs> perfect. Well, thank you so much, Megan. That was so fun. Yes, I agree. This was great. Thanks for having me, y'all. <laughs>